Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm excited to welcome back our good and faithful longstanding podcast guest, I'm HIP consultant Kareem Kenyatta to unpack and kick off the 2022 legislative session. Welcome back, Kareem. Happy New Year. Well, thank you, Samantha. Happy New Year to you as well. Looking forward to getting started. And it is going to be an interesting year on the legislative front. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to sort of dive into this conversation, pick your brain. It's one of my favorite things to do is, is we sort of look at the political and the policy landscape, try to patch it together, um, try to predict what we think is going to happen uh, with the full recognition that we have no darn clue in year three of, you know, session year three of impacted by the COVID pandemic. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's interesting because obviously when the pandemic started, no one expected for the virtual session and committees to go on this long. But, you know, it kind of looks like that part of it, or at least some part of it is here to stay. And we're going to have to adjust to a whole new style of lobbying and consulting and everything else. So that's going to be interesting to watch both, you know, this session and going forward. Absolutely. And I think to sort of kick off, and I think you might have answered it already, but like what's surprised you so far this year? And I think for me, at least it's, you know, at the end of last year, like the end of session last year, I thought, oh, this year, 2022 session is going to be more normal. We're going to be back in person. We're going to have, um, you know, sort of the regular committees, regular sort of lobbying and consulting approach. and we're wrong, um, at least for January. And I think probably early February as, as well. No, that's right. Yeah. I'm with you, I thought definitely by the start of this session, things would be, you know, folks would be vaccinated. There'd be processes in place for if you're vaccinated, unvaccinated, and we would just go from there. But obviously session is still being canceled and a lot of meetings and everything else, committees and discussions about, you know, what we all consider important issues are still basically taking place in this virtual world that's been created since the pandemic. And, you know, I I think the jury's still out on whether this is an effective way to legislate and govern. I mean, I know personally, I prefer uh, in person and, you know, communicating and touching people, you know, like live in Springfield, but, you know, this is the reality and people have to make adjustments everywhere. And so we'll see where it goes, but it's going to just be interesting to see what kind of policy and legislation comes out of this period and, you know, how we, how we adjust to it. Absolutely. And I think to that end, like, as we're thinking about it, I think there are benefits of some of the virtual approach, especially when I think about subject matter hearings, mm-hmm. um, where we want to, he- where the legislature wants to hear from experts. Um, if it's virtual, you can hear from such a broader array of experts who don't have to drive down to Springfield, um, you know. And, and what I think of as clinicians, um, either practicing or clinicians at the health plans, it's really hard for those doctors to get down in Springfield, spend all day. Um, you know, leave their practice, um, 
you know, leave all of the other like healthcare work they need to do. But in a virtual space, it's, you know, you're asking for maybe 20, 30 minutes instead of 20 or 30 hours. And that um, makes it more accessible. And, and people with families, people with um, lower means, it, it becomes easier to participate in the legislative process. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Samantha. You're right. I mean, and even when you think about legislators themselves, I feel like they're able to absorb a lot more information in this environment versus, you know, Springfield session day, million things happening. You know, they have action they have to deal with on the House floor, Senate floor and committees and people approaching them. And whereas with the virtual setting, obviously, you know, it's you have the ability to kind of focus on what you're focused on at the time with, you know, minimal distractions. So, right. yeah, I agree with you. Except for dogs, babies. Except for dogs, yeah. yeah. Except for dogs, <laughs> babies, doorbells. Yep. <laughs> all that that we deal with all the time. We're so used to now. All right. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about COVID and, and what's different in that regard. But let's like sort of broaden back up. And what's different about this year um, that we haven't dealt with before? And I think the big one is legislators right now are out knocking doors, getting petitions signed and focusing you know, obviously on all of the work of being a legislator, but also all of the work of getting reelected to stay a legislator. That's right. And knocking on doors during a pandemic is not ideal. And I think a lot of legislators are running into that. So, you know, on one hand, I think while, you know, COVID has kind of sidelined legislative issues and you know, forced kind of this virtual universe, it, it probably does help a lot of legislators that are up for re-election to at least be able to stay closer to home and gather some of those petitions, which anyone who has ever done that knows it's not an easy job. So, yeah. And adding on a pandemic, it's cold. I exactly. mean, and so you knocking doors or standing out at the L stops or going to grocery stores or, you know, however you're doing it, all 118 representatives up for re-election, it's cold. There's a pandemic with a new wave, right? Like this isn't even like September. Um, I mean, this is, you know, completely unpredictable mm-hmm. and a shortened time frame. Sorry. It's got to be rough. Yeah. And depending on where you're walking, I mean, if you're walking in areas where people are frustrated and, you know, there's just a lot to deal with. And yeah, I don't envy the position of a lot of the legislators that are out knocking on doors right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the compounding of, is that a state issue? Is it a local issue? Is it mm-hmm. a federal issue? And people are frustrated. Absolutely. People are over this pandemic, whether or not it's over with us. I mean, I'm, I'm over it. You know, it, it's just, it's frustrating. And so you got to understand sort of that perspective from the voters as well. There's a lot on legislators' plates, I think is really what we're trying to say. Absolutely. And, you know, not to mention you have, a, you know, a bigger election with the governor and everything involved. So, you know, that's going to be that's always a part of any state, local election. And if you're a legislator, no matter where you're at, you know, whatever's happening in these, you know, big ticket races is going to spill over. And as we know, this is going to be a very interesting kind of dynamic going forward. Just what's happening nationally and what we can predict will happen in the kind of gubernatorial election here. Yeah. We'll see a part of it. Yeah. And, and we've got primaries and then we've got the general and yep. everybody's got eyes on both. And there's a lot 
of unknown, a lot of folks not feeling super comfortable with what they do know. Um, and so I think let's pivot a little bit. So we've got that the change of the primary t- taking place at, um, you know, different time than normal, uh, petitions being passed at a different time than normal. We've also got, because it's an election year and all 118 um, members of the, of the House of Representatives are up for re-election, uh, approximately a third of the Senate, um, all of Illinois' executive branch um, up for re-election. That means the election is going to be some of the policy focus too. And to that end, what are you hearing and seeing and thinking about what are the topics that the legislators are going to focus on this year, given that election focus? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there sounds like there will be some cleanup work on some of the bigger issues, you know, like there was a big energy bill that passed, things of that nature that still need a bit of cleaning up. There'll be uh, yeah, obviously it talks around the budget. I think the budget is going to be one of the key items that, you know, the focus is on, especially for the majority parties in both the House and Senate. Um, and then obviously you have the big issue in Illinois and, you know, especially in Chicago, which is uh, crime. And, you know, both uh, the Democrats and Republicans have in the past week or so issued some type of statement or done some type of media surrounding, you know, kind of the increasing crime. Uh, I hate to call it a crime wave, but just the statistics have obviously gone in a direction that law enforcement doesn't want to see and a lot of communities, you know, are starting to feel uneasy about. And so we're definitely going to see that addressed in one way or another in Springfield. It's just going to be, does that issue divide and create even more of a partisan environment, which I hate to say it, but it probably will. So. I think that's going to kind of spill over into other things. So we'll see probably a limit on some of the bigger issues, but, you know, kind of a more specific focus on the budget and, you know, dealing with the crime issue that is, you know, impacting so many areas across the state right now. I could not agree more, Kareem. I mean, I think the state budget, it's the one like must pass, right? Like every year you really need to pass the state budget. Um, I know we went two years without one, but it wasn't fun. So, you know, that's the must pass. Um, and then there is crime. Um, I think you're, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, we're already seeing it with um, legislative press conferences and from everybody, right? I think all legislators, regardless of whether or not they're a Democrat or a Republican, want to show that they're responsive to their constituents who are very concerned about crime. And what does that look like? Um, is there um, some bipartisan agreement or is there political posturing? And I think that, um, I think the optimists uh, among us might hope that there could be some p- bipartisan uh, collaboration. Uh, the realists would remind us that it is an election year. You know, I think others would just say, no matter what, there's going to be political posturing on this matter. So I, I think we're probably going to see um, a real focus on on crime and maybe not necessarily a collaborative focus, if you will. Um, and then on, on the healthcare side, I think that's going to bleed over into more focus on mental health, which is a positive, right? I think that I think as we look at our Medicaid program, as we look at how we structure the benefit package, I think there's always more that we can do to invest in community behavioral health. Um, 
I think the pandemic has exacerbated um, uh, addiction crisis and overdose crises um, and the need for substance use disorder treatment that's accessible is critical and that is accessible and safe in the middle of a pandemic, which is just still quite complicated. I hope that there's some conversation there. I know that I'm hip is going to pursue some legislation around uh, behavioral health and how do we um, better meet the needs of members uh, who have behavioral health care needs, whether mental health or substance use disorder, um, because that is going to, you know, that does impact crime. Um, I, I, I want to make sure that we're not sort of perpetuating a stigma that those with mental illness are the ones offending or are criminals, because oftentimes actually statistics show that individuals with mental illness are more likely to be victims of crime than perpetrators of crime. But we do know that those with substance use disorders, you know, that, that substance use disorder in particular has been just gone untreated uh, in the rate that we would like it to for the past two years for a myriad of reasons. And so the need to invest in that treatment is going to be critical. So that's how crime, I think, is going to impact some of the healthcare discussion. I also know that we have a ton on rate reform for both hospitals and nursing homes. And, you know, viewing that from an equity lens and sort of what does that look like? That's a lot of oxygen in the room. And so for those who aren't as familiar, Medicaid's the largest payer for long-term care for nursing homes. Um, And we have a $3 billion with a B plus dollar program funding hospitals, the hospital assessment program that has got to be reauthorized this year. And that is always a political um, discussion because it impacts every hospital across the state, every community, every legislator, uh, you know, is impacted. And so that's a lot in healthcare. Um, and that's just sort of the basics. I mean, that's not even, um, how do we continue to strengthen and build upon maternal health? Something that I'm hip wants to do, you know, how do we, you know, sort of, understand and increase transparency? How do we do all of these things? Like there are just huge nuts and bolts that need to to be discussed before we even get to some of those more um, nuanced discussions. That's right. And, you know, I think one interesting thing that's going to come out of this entire process is, you know, I like to hope and think that, you know, both, both sides of the aisle can kind of look, because one thing I think that is currently happening is because we have increases, you know, an increase in crime, you know, we're starting to see an examination of programs that the state funds. And, you know, we're starting to analyze and look at, you know, what works and what doesn't work. Now, the question will be, you know, does the legislature decide to work together and, you know, provide more support to the things that do and, you know, maybe figure out a way to, kind of help strengthen the things that aren't working as well? Or does it just boil down to this political fight where nothing gets resolved and, you know, we're right back where we started? You know, I can remember when we first talked about, you know, how the pandemic was going to impact everything. And, you know, we were still in the uh, phase where, you know, we were talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and diversity and and all those things. And so it's going to be interesting to see now, here we are in year three, And we're starting to look at all these programs, you know, do we still carry the whole diversity or is it now 
shift to something else. And so I think that's going to be interesting to watch uh, the remainder of this session too. Absolutely. And um, how do you have those conversations in a productive manner? How do you look at the programs um, and make sure that the temperature is uh, down enough to have, to have those nuanced discussions um, in a, with a charge topic in an election year and um, sometimes between folks that just may not trust one another mm-hmm. um, and, or see eye to eye. I mean, I think that there's some real challenges and might not be in the same room. So Kareem, I feel like I could continue to talk to you all day about this. And I think I know that we will continue um, throughout the year um, because there's so much to unpack. And I think there's so much uncertainty. I think what we know for sure is we're going to be busy um, and that we are going to continue to focus even in the political space um, here at IMHIP on, on the Medicaid members and how do we strengthen that Medicaid program? How do, you know, how is Medicaid and how are health plans and care coordination, the solution to some of these challenges? I think there's a lot around maternal health and uh, mental health where the health plans, um, have some solutions, have already made investments, can work on this. Um, and then, then, and of course the state budget. And then there are some where, you know, it's really just a discussion outside of the healthcare space. Um, and what does that mean from, you know, in terms of just capacity to have those other healthcare focused discussions? That's right. And there's so many new members. And I mean, the one benefit of, you know, as we mentioned with the virtual world is, you know, it's a better, probably a better tool to educate legislators. And I think that's what a lot of various organizations and groups are going to take this period to do is continue to educate and advocate and, you know, make sure that everything that you're, because you're right. I mean, when you look at things like Medicaid and other things that are being, you know, looked at and examined right now is how are we adjusting to you know, or how is everything adjusting to the changing times? And so I think it's going to continue to be that evaluation. And, you know, education is the key to kind of working together to make sure everyone's on the same page. So, exactly. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting, very interesting session because of all these moving parts. Oh, couldn't have said it better. I think that's the place to end it, right? It's going to be interesting. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kareem, for joining me today on Sam Says for what is absolutely the first of many conversations as we continue to keep a close eye on what's going on in Springfield. To learn more about what I'm Hips doing, to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.net. And of course, don't forget to follow and like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the Sam and Sam Says. And as always, Thanks for joining us today and until next time, be well and stay safe.